Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Congresswoman Marsha Fudge, chair of the House Subcommittee on Elections. Congresswoman Fudge joined Congress in 2008. We talk about the overall voter suppression and attempts being made to limit the vote of African Americans and other minority groups. For this conversation, we're joined by Judge Gail Williams Byers of the South Euclid Municipal Court as we continue our discussions about race and racism in America. Congresswoman, we've been hearing in the news about the U.S. Postal Service and what impact it might have on mail-in voting. We've got the Postmaster General saying, hey, I'm not going to do any more of my revisions, but some revisions have already been done. Um, What's going to happen with this, and what is Congress's role in this battle with the Postal Service? Well, it's, it's twofold. Um, certainly we have oversight, but we don't have direct supervision. So what is going to be happening over the next week is we are going to have hearings to determine uh, what should be done, what has been done, what can be done. We have the Inspector General who is investigating as well. Uh, but as it relates to what has already been done to, at least to my knowledge, I have photographs right now in my phone of uh, a sorter. Now, these sorters cost over a million dollars that is sitting out in the parking lot of our um, Orange Avenue uh, main post office. There is no way to put that back in place. So now what happens with the machine that sorts 35,000 pieces of mail per hour? That is why without those machines, you see mail sitting in boxes in post offices and postal centers all over the country because they have removed that which uh, is helping them get the mail out. So we really, to answer your question directly, the only uh, thing that Congress can do is to uh, investigate what has happened. We're going to bring uh, as well the, the board that supervises or oversees the Postal Service to see if we can call them to task as well. But there's not a lot that can be done to stop what has already been done. It's not easy to reverse that process. 
The president just last week uh, indicated that he was opposed to any new funding for the the post office, and I know this is tied up in uh, the the bill that you all are working on uh, regarding the the pandemic relief. Uh, is there a financial aspect that you can, a uh, financial role that you play in all of this? Oh, there certainly is. Uh, one thing about the post office, because it is technically not a government agency, it is a quasi-government department. And so what we do is we provide some funding, but unlike any other agency of the federal government, we have put requirements on the Postal Service to put resources aside that we don't do for any other single agency. So we say to the post office, you have to have enough resources available to pay pensions over the next 10 years. So what that does is it takes those resources out of their operating budget. So they run a deficit. They run a deficit in addition to that because the cost of postage does not cover actually the cost of what it takes to send mail. But what we forget is that the Postal Service is not a business. It is a service. And what the president is trying to do is privatize the Postal Service. He's doing that by assisting it in operating in the red more and more every year. It's going to take at least $25 billion to get the Postal Service up to the point where it can get us through the balance of this year. That would include more staff because they are woefully understaffed. We have many Postal Service uh, employees who are out with COVID because people forget that they are essential workers and they're first line workers. Uh, The president seems to think that the only thing the Postal Service does is deliver ballots. The Postal Service delivers medication, paychecks, letters, cards, any number of things you can think of the Postal Service does. Uh, And so I think that when we start to think about it as a service as opposed to a business, then we understand why it needs our help. They are the only people required to deliver to someone's home. So they go into rural rural America where a lot of these other people won't go. They deliver mail every day where these other people will not do. And so they have requirements put upon them that none of the private entities have to face. And so they are running a deficit. So yes, the one thing we can do is fund them. And so we have in our last bill, the HEROES Act, $25 $25 billion solely for the Postal Service. And that is, in in essence, what the president's holding hostage, saying he does not want that. Absolutely right. But I think that he has had a rude awakening, as veterans have complained, as senior citizens have complained, as people who are disabled have complained. Uh, he is stopping the very lifeline to so many people in this country by delaying their mail. It should not take three to four weeks to get a piece of mail, which is what is happening today. Well, Congresswoman, it seems um, from from what you've said, it it seems startling and unconscionable that we would um, look to the post office um, as a a service industry. But just as you've said, it it seems that not only do we see it as only doing one service, but obviously they offer multiple services to so many people. But given that we've removed civics 
um, from our schools, I wonder what can we do to sort of raise the education level of the citizenry so that we can do more to support members of Congress like you because you can't fight alone. You know, Judge, it's a great question. I, I, I'm very much reminded of an interview I saw last week with Brandon Marshall, a professional football player who was joined with LeBron James and others to uh, work to get out the vote. And he said something that caught me so off guard. He says, we don't register many of us. We don't know how. We don't know how things work. Can you imagine now? Not only, he says, you have to start at the basics where people don't even think we need to start. We don't know how to register. We don't know how to vote. They don't understand how government works because, we, as you say, we don't teach civics in school anymore. No one understands the difference between what I do and what happens at the state house. I will ask a person, who is your council person if they call my office? They don't know. I will say, who is your state rep or, uh, or, or, or your state senator? They, they have no idea. Because we don't make it important for people to understand how government works. The only thing we can do, Judge, is to put it back into the curriculum for schools. And it's something that we have to do. That, that is so true. I, I think about being, and, and this is going to tell you how, how young I wish I was. I think <laughs> about Schoolhouse Rocky and learning, I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. That's how old I am. And that's what sparked my interest in civics when I was a kid is is actually learning that jingle and learning about the the civics process and knowing that kids nowadays probably have no idea who Schoolhouse Rocky is and have no idea of how a bill becomes a law. But I know that you sit as the chair of the subcommittee on elections. And now more than ever, elections are so important and we're being bombarded, if you will, with information about elections and election protection every day. Can you tell us what that subcommittee is and what it does and how we should be increasing, again, our knowledge base about that and how we need to be involved? Well, I'm, I'm glad, glad you asked. I mean, I am so privileged, and it is a privilege, to be the subcommittee chair. Prior to uh, Democrats winning back the House in 2018, this committee on elections was defunct. There was no, they just did away with it. And so when we became the majority in the House in 2018, we put the committee back in place because the incidences of voter suppression were getting bigger and bigger. And it goes back to the Shelby decision in 2013, when the Supreme Court said in a nutshell, and I paraphrase, obviously, we are not saying that there is no discrimination in this country, but we do not believe that you can prove that there is discrimination based upon a formula that you have been using for 40 years. This pre-clearance form, we think that you're being unfair to the 14 or so states that we have to pre-clear every decision they make. Because at that time, if you lived in, and they were primarily Southern states, admittedly, if you, let's say if you lived in the state of Alabama, in order for you to make any major changes, even as to closing polling places or moving them, you had to get permission from the Justice Department of the federal government so that we could be sure that your, whether it be your intent, but that the effect would not be 
uh, discriminatory or would not suppress the vote. And so once Shelby's decision was um, rendered, there were some 26 states within a matter of days that changed their laws. So that's when you started seeing the um, voter ID laws. That's when you started seeing large numbers of polling places closed and or moved. That's when you started seeing other impediments to voting put in people's way. That's when they wanted to ask the citizenship questions. That's when they wanted you to use, like I said, certain forms of ID. So all of those things came as a result of the Shelby decision by the United States Supreme Court. What we did from my committee is we traveled around the country to get the evidence that the Supreme Court said we did not have so that we could put in place a new formula based upon contemporary data. And so what we, what we did was put together a document showing that in fact, there is still discrimination, there are still voter suppression efforts, and it is worse even than it was in 1965. I mean, the state of Ohio should be included. Places in New York should be included. Places in Wisconsin should be included. You know, it's almost the it's almost judged when you say, "Be careful what you ask for," because that data now exists. But our Republican colleagues, especially those in the Senate, will not take up the Voting Rights Act now that we have provided the data, and we have given them a new formula. They refuse to pass it. So what we are faced with is the first major election in our history in recent history, without the protections of the Voting Rights Act. And that is why these, these states and these, uh, these localities are doing whatever they feel like doing. And that's why we're suing them, whether it be in Texas or in Wisconsin or in Alabama. In Alabama, they determined that there could only be one or two different forms of ID. But they moved the voter registration uh Bureau of Motor Vehicles, 30 miles out of any black neighborhood. And then they only opened them two days a week. So it made it so difficult, even if you just wanted to go and get an ID, because a lot of these people don't drive. You'd be surprised at how many people in this country do not have driver's license and how many of them are, are, are minorities or people of color. So they made it more difficult. We went to Standing Rock in South Dakota if they had to leave their reservation to vote, it would take them more than an hour each way. On the border, they are putting polling places in places that are intimidating, like in a police station. In Texas, they are saying that you can use your hunting license as an ID, but you cannot use your state-issued college ID. And it goes on and on. And so we know what is happening. We know that they are clearly in violation of the Constitution. But because we don't have the protections of the Voting Rights Act, the, uh, the lawsuits that are filed have to come under what is called Section 2, and they are very, very costly and very, very timely. Most would not be decided before this election were over. And so that is where we find ourselves. We have done our work. We have gathered the data. We have put a document together. We have said to the Congress and to the Supreme Court, here is your contemporaneous data. Now let's enforce section four and five of the Civil Rights Act, I mean of the Voting Rights Act, but they refuse to do it.
So the Voting Rights Act obviously will not, even if made through the House, would not make it through the the Senate. So that's not a, a, a viable way of addressing this for this election. Lawsuits, as you said, uh, Congresswoman, take take a long time. Uh, so that may be viable for the future, but not viable for the present. What can be done for this election to stem this tide? I'm going to tell you, there's only two things that can be done. One is we need to figure out what the rules are in every state, whatever your state is, and you need to find a way to follow them. Because there's not a whole lot we can do to stop what is happening right now between now and November 3rd. So what we have to do is impress upon people, uh, and, and this, is, this has been my mantra since uh, last week, every day from now on is election day. So we are encouraging people to vote early if they are in states that allow that. We are encouraging them to get your absentee application in right now. Don't wait until voting starts in October. Get it in now so that your ballot can be received as early as possible. Some will be received even that second week of October. Turn it around and get it back in. We are fighting, uh, even with this state that we are in, to get more voting box drop-off boxes. Uh, the, 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 the Secretary of State says that he doesn't have the authority, but in my opinion, there is nothing in law that prevents him from doing it. So we are working at trying to find alternatives. Um, and the other thing that can be done other than just getting the information out, and I know it's going to sound crazy, but we just have to have a will to do it. We just cannot let them stop us because if we, if we take all of the things that they are throwing at us and say enough, I can't do it anymore, then we lose. We have to go out and vote in spite of, we have to go out and vote because it is important. And if we do that, we'll be fine. So we have to gather together all of the various constituencies we have, all of our family and friends, and we have to make voting a priority because legally there's not much that is going to be done between now and November 3rd. We just have to get through it. It sounds like Congresswoman, though, essentially what we should be calling upon is the will to win. Yes. And that's what we have to have is the will to win. We already know in this pandemic um, environment that we're in, people of color in particularly have been disproportionately negatively impacted. Um, and I suspect that you might share the sentiment that um, in this election cycle, it the expectation is that people of color are going to be disproportionately impacted. Is that the opinion that you share? And, and how do we expect um, the pandemic to affect voting? I actually have a piece of legislation within the HEROES Act, and it's called the Vote Safe Act. And what it does is it provides $3 billion, $3.6 billion actually, to uh, states to assist with uh male and or in-person voting in the face of this pandemic we find ourselves in. Uh, it requires that there be a certain amount of early voting. It requires that people be allowed to vote by mail with no excuse. You know, some places like North Carolina requires that you have, I think, two signatures and or a notary to be able to cast an absentee ballot. And lots of states have lots of rules, but we want to, because it is a federal election, make the playing field even and say that we want no excuse early voting. We want at least 30 days of early voting. And it's some other things and provided the resources to do it. We cannot get it past the Senate. 
So even though the House has passed it, we're still at the mercy of Mitch McConnell. So that's why I'm saying that there's a not, not a lot going to happen legislatively. We just have to do what we have to do, and all of us have to take it upon ourselves to encourage people to get out and vote and to help them figure out how to do it. On the other end of this, Congresswoman, um, the president has, uh, through tweets and uh, press conferences and other things, already planted the seed that this election will be rigged, uh, whether it's fraud from mail-in ballots or, or whatever. He's already planning major lawsuits in multiple states uh, about the results of this election. How can we sanctify this election as pure and move this on to the results that the people want? You know what? We have to win big. You know, he if, if it's close, he's absolutely going to try whatever desperate thing he can because he is a very desperate man. Uh, but if it is big, if we come out and vote in big numbers and he loses by huge margins, he will look like the village idiot if he tries to sue us. So that is why it is important that we get all of our people out because we can win and we can win big. It's just a matter of us having the will to do it and not do things like Casting a vote for someone we know has not one iota of a chance of winning. Not be distracted by the bots who are attacking us online or the Russians who are interfering in our election. We need to just drown out the noise and find a way to go and vote. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further, not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands. And this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud. To make it clear. Make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. How important is it, Congresswoman, that, and I know that there's often a lot of focus on voting the top of the ticket because we see a lot of that from the national stage, but we don't hear an awful lot about down ballot races. And we, we haven't had a lot of conversation about that. Can you speak to the importance of that? Because 
um, I think that that's often something that gets overlooked. Well, I think that people forget, um, as elected officials especially, none of us govern alone. And so we need, just like the president, if, if the president becomes Joe Biden, he's still going to need a Senate and a House. And so then what we do is maybe we go and campaign in a state like Alabama where our chances may not be that great, but we need to help Doug Jones. Or that may be that we work in environments where we not maybe not necessarily would do in the past. We believe if we work in Texas, we can win Texas. But that means helping those congressional people. That means helping those mayors and, and city council people because we need all of those people. If you look at this county alone, we probably handle 25% of all the judicial cases in the state of Ohio. Why would we not want to know who our judges are? Um, if we live in cities where uh, there are challenges, why would we not want to put the right people on city council or elect the right mayor? We do ourselves a disservice because we are not educated to the system. It goes back to a question you asked earlier, Judge. Um, how do we teach people about the importance of doing what we do? We can go from the fact that, I mean, look, just look right now. Yesterday, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the passage of, of the 19th Amendment. And people think, oh, such so great, the suffragists did that. But what they don't realize is only white women could vote. It took another 50 years for black women to be able to vote, but we don't know history. So because we don't know history, we celebrate things that we shouldn't and we don't celebrate the things we should. So when you say to young people, we, our ancestors died for this right, they're like, oh, that's old stuff. We don't want to hear that. We have to find a way to make them know that where we are going now in their futures, their very futures depend upon this election because it does. If, if, if they don't understand that, politics control almost everything we do. You want your kid to go to a good school? Education funding is what makes that happen. You want your parents or grandparents to continue to receive their Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security? It is elected officials that make that happen. If you want to have police on the street or firefighters, it is elected officials that make that happen. If your kid gets in trouble and you want them to get a second chance, it is judges that make those decisions. They right now keep talking about they don't like cops, they don't like prosecutors, etc. But the very first thing they wanted when George Floyd was killed was a prosecutor that they thought was fair. That's because we need to elect those people. Nobody understands in its totality what uh, being involved in this process means. But it affects almost every single part of your life. The quality of the air you breathe, the, the safe food you eat, it affects everything. So we cannot walk away from it. So we might as well speak for ourselves by being involved in the process. In the new uh, Voting Rights Act that, that you're proposing, uh, does it have other changes in it, Congresswoman, such as Saturday voting or, or other ways of getting more people involved? It does, but you have to realize this. Elections uh, by constitution are handled by the states. The only thing we can do now is put in place 
temporary measures, and we can do it because it is also a federal election. So because it is a federal election, there is some federal oversight, which is all the time, but we are uh, involved in it because there is a federal election as well. So we can put these things in place temporarily. And yes, we, are, we, we have done in this bill everything possible. Yes, we have weekend voting. We have Sunday and Saturday voting. Uh, we're, you know, we're even as a Congress trying to get uh, states and, and businesses to declare election day a holiday so that people don't have to worry about going to work. They can go and vote and not have to lose time from work. I mean, we've got a very comprehensive vote from home bill. Uh, and I, I, I don't know that we can get it passed, but at least we know what we need to do. Uh, the good thing is secretaries of state across this country who actually like the voting by mail or voting from home are really on our side, Republicans and Democrats alike, because they know that their job is to make voting easier. And so, so many of these states already have vote by mail or vote from home, whichever you prefer to call it. They already have these systems in place. But what we are expecting, if we are still in a COVID situation on November 3rd, that so many people will choose not to put themselves at risk and they will take the option of either voting by mail or they will want to take their ballots and put them in a, in a voting drop box just for safety's sake. But it's a hit, it's like turning around an ocean liner. In Ohio, 80 to 85% of all of our people vote in person. It is a huge difference for them to vote by mail. You know, you got to make sure you sign it in the exact right place, that you send it at the right time, that you put it in the right envelope. And so it is intimidating. And that is why we have to have an all-out educational effort on how to vote from home. What is the bipartisan, or is there any bipartisan support for what you're doing in Washington? Uh, I hear you say there is out in the States with various secretaries of state, et cetera. But uh, any bipartisan participation in Washington? Unfortunately, very little. Um, you know, up until this past, this time, we've always had bipartisan support for the, for the Voting Rights Act until Donald Trump told him, don't do it. He says, you know, if you, if you fully enforce the Voting Rights Act, his position is that Republicans will never win, which is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard, but that is what he says. And so what we have in Congress, it's, at least I can talk about my colleagues, there are very few of them that have the courage the backbone to stand up to this president and tell him he is wrong. Because it used to be that Republicans took advantage of voting from home. Very few Democrats voted by mail. But because of the situation we find ourselves in with this, this, this virus and this pandemic, we know that the numbers are going to be significant. And so what it does is it puts a burden on our local boards of election. Many of them don't have enough machines to hand feed hundreds of thousands of pieces of paper on election night. Uh, and so we know that we have some issues, but we also know that there are many, many people who believe that this is the right way to go. And I would suggest to you that if we pull this off this time, in the future, most people will vote by mail. The numbers of people who vote go up significantly as much as 10%. 
The participation grows significantly because people can vote from the comfort of their homes and not have to worry about their health. But no, our, our colleagues are going to either, they're gonna, they, they've decided that Donald Trump is the hill that they're going to die on. And so, Congresswoman, can you talk to us a little bit about how um, or what the plan is to debunk um, some of the some of the rhetoric to just the average person about the allegations of fraud of voting from home or absentee voting, especially given um, that the system nationwide, um, especially in some areas, is tested, tried and true. Um, there are some states who only vote by mail and other states where, you know, by and large, the, the citizenry, you know, largely votes in that that manner. And I think that even the president himself um, has taken advantage of voting in in that manner. And yet um, what we hear over and over again is is that you know, it's a fraudulent process. And I think that that's just enough to scare some people away from voting in that manner. And, and if there's enough of the citizenry that buys into that, then that might be you know just enough to for some people to stay home and not participate at all, which is you know the just the right recipe for some and you know just the right disaster for others. Well you know the president has systematically destroyed the trust and confidence uh, of the American people in every single institution in this nation. Uh, my biggest fear, quite frankly, is that um, now that people are concerned and not have the kind of trust for the postal service, most people are not confident if they vote by mail that their ballot will get there. That's my biggest fear right now, uh, that there is just this un uh, un unease about the safety uh, the safety of putting your ballot in the mail because he has literally destroyed confidence in an institution that every single person in this country has always found to be very good. Uh, so that's my biggest fear, but as it relates to actually voting, and I think that we have to do whatever is necessary to try to restore that confidence. And that's why we're having these hearings, et cetera. And we hope that within the next 25 to 30 days, prior to the time that early vote starts in most states, although it's starting in North Carolina in a week or two, that um, we will have the Postal Service situation squared away enough that people will once again regain enough confidence to put it in the mail. But my bigger fear, Judge, just to be very honest, is that if we, as an American people, continue to allow the divisive rhetoric the um, undermining of institutions that have been around for generations. Uh, if we so distrust the American people to make the right decision that we'd have to try to use foreign influence to help us, we can't continue this way. We have to impress upon people that this may be the last chance we have to save the democracy that we know. Because if we do not, the consequences may be much more than this nation can recover from in my lifetime. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, I get, I get started, but, uh, but, I, but, I, but I mean it, really mean it. 
it's that important. And I, I'm sure uh, some people watched Michelle Obama's speech uh, at the Democratic National Convention. Uh, she shared some of your uh, same views uh, on this, but you know, n- not many people watch television anymore. They don't watch conventions. They That's don't. Right. They don't That's pay right. attention. So, so getting this down to the streets, getting this down to the neighborhoods, getting this down through the schools, seems to be the major challenge. Well, one of the things that that we pride ourselves on here is we really do work with our. Um, boards of education, uh, to get those who are turning 18 by election day, to get them registered timely and to get them down to the board of elections. We are also encouraging college students to do things like volunteer to work the polls, because we know that the more involved you become, uh, the more likely you are to involve your friends and your network of people. We're also explaining to people what it means, going back to your question, Judge, and what voting actually does to change their lives. You know, these these young people now, these millennials, they're at the age where they're getting ready to send kids to school. You know, they're at they're at the age where they are many of them taking care of children and parents. They are many of them at the age at which they are wanting to buy a home or to find a secure place for their families to live. I've done that. I've done that. I'm at an age now where for the most part, I'm probably going to be okay. I've got a pension. When I retire, I'm going to be all right. You know, I'm not going to be wealthy, but I'm going to be okay. They don't have those assurances anymore. And so at some point, they have to make sure that the people who represent them are the people who have their interest at heart and not people who are just there for whatever their own self-interests are. We have to go back to thinking about elected officials as public servants. That is what our role is is to stand up for the people who send us to Washington. That is my job. That is what I take pride in, is that people have faith and confidence in me. And if I can't do that job, I have no business there. And this administration has no business where it is because they do not care that black and brown people are dying disproportionately from a disease that could have been stopped. They do not care that there is no health care or access to it in the richest country in the world, that we still have children who are hungry that go to school every day. If somebody can't find a way to say something to somebody that is going to make them understand that to not vote is just selfish, it may not help you, but it's going to help your neighbor's kid who can't get a free and reduced breakfast or lunch or get a ride to school or to go into a school with heat in the, in, in, in the winter and air conditioning in the summer or have enough police officers on the street or keep your hospitals open. We have to find a way to meet people where they are and make them understand what is at stake and everything is at stake. Congresswoman, on that note, we're going to wrap it up and thank you so very, very much for talking with us and taking so much time to explain all of these issues. We really, really appreciate it. I thank you so very much for having me. I really do. Congresswoman, I am here literally with my jaw still dropped and I knew that we could and I would certainly be at all with what you would have to share with us today. And I am so amazingly grateful 
that you've joined us um, and that you will be joining um, our audience to share this important information because this is a critical time and the critical information that you have shared um, I know has not only inspired us, but will inspire so many to do something. And that's what we have been saying over and over again, is that we must do something at this important time in our lives and in our history, because every day that we have, we are writing another page in our personal history. And right now we have the choice of what words we put on that page. And we thank you for joining us. I thank you all. I'm sorry. Sometimes I get a little I get a little charged up, but um, but I just know I, I just know that we have we have so much work to do. Today we've been talking with Congresswoman Marsha Fudge about voter suppression and attempts to limit the black vote in the upcoming presidential election. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover in the future, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.